Hey everyone! Welcome back to the Hand Me Up podcast, a podcast where two Zimbabwean women share their journey to their PhD in the UK. We will be sharing the highs, the lows and everything in between. We're your hosts, Rue and Gwen. Let's get started. So today is our second segment. <laughs> we made it. We made it. The second one. Second one. <laughs> um, so today you guys are actually in for a proper treat because I'm going to be interviewing Rue um, where she's just going to unpack some of the um, details of her journey leading up to her starting her PhD because I think whilst we're focusing on the PhD journey itself, it's good to just have a bit of background um, on how you got to the place of I'm going to do a PhD. So I'm going to be asking questions, I being Gwen. I don't know if you guys recognize <laughs> our voices yet, but this is Gwen. Gwen will be interviewing Rue. Um, so yeah, Rue, I'm excited because I feel like I know most things, but this will be interesting because now we'll be drilling down. Yeah. So I'm, I'm excited. So am I, so am I. I'm excited to share the journey and to even relive it in a way. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, um, first question, um, Rue, like what did you study for your undergrad? Where and why? Okay, so um, for my undergrad, I studied hospitality initially. Um, so at A-level, I had done um, art, uh, I had done literature, I had done geography as well. I dropped history somewhere along the lines as well. And so I decided to go to Switzerland at the time for my undergrad um, at the Swiss Hotel Management School because at the time, that was one of the best in the world and there was this whole, you know, you need to get the best, blah, 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 and I wanted to be a hotelier. Um, why? I, you know, I grew up serving. I like to serve people. I like to host people. I like to cook. I like to do all of those things. However, you know, um, it wasn't necessarily for me to go there to learn to become a chef. I wanted to become a hotelier or a, to own a restaurant or something um, at some point in time. So that journey started in 2008, February of 2008. I moved to Switzerland. And it was a four-year journey per se. Um, the first three years were a higher diploma. So in Switzerland, you graduate with what's called a higher diploma. So, you know, your bachelor, your bachelor degree was called a diploma, diploma in, you know, in, in Switzerland because it was a Swiss, the French speaking part of Switzerland, so to say. And then, um, the final year was a BA honors. And that was now with a, um, you could then choose to qualify with an institution in the UK or an institution in the United States. So you could then use your degree elsewhere. So um, I mentioned that initially this was in hospitality and then somewhere along the lines, my major changed to hospitality and events. Um, I think how we got there, oh, that's a story all on its own. I don't know if we have time in this podcast <laughs> for me to unpack the journey of why, but I think it's important because um, it took a placement uh, in South Africa uh, in 2009 um, the year before the FIFA 2010 World Cup for me to realize that I really, really liked events management. And I was exposed to the World Cup in Durban. I was exposed to working on certain elements um, in the particular hotel I worked for, uh, con you know, subcontracting things for the World Cup. And also just living in Durban and experiencing certain things, you know, social changes, etc., protests, and so on. I started to question, why aren't mega events this, you know, big 
why are they this big deal that people do not talk about the negative side? So it started, you know, setting these wheels in motion in my head that I wanted to understand the whys and, you know, the community impact and why perhaps communities don't always support negatives and why they're not discussed. So upon return to Switzerland, um, when I was now due to complete my final year of the diploma, I actually changed my major uh, to hospitality and events because I wanted to explore the events side of things. And I had been doing placements throughout um, my undergrad. And what I also realized was I really don't like hospitality. <laughs> you know, on the surface, it may seem like this glamorous industry, etc. But I really did not enjoy it. And I mean, I'm one of those people who, if I'm doing something, I give my all. So I never at one point, you know, um, perhaps gave up or anything. I would have been good at it still because I'm just one of those people um, in life where if I put myself in a space and I give myself towards something, I'm all in or nothing. But I did realize I didn't have a passion for it. But events did set my heart on fire or set my soul on fire. So after um, graduating from undergrad, um, my family came from Zimbabwe for um, graduation. And I remember we had this one dinner um, the night before my family left to go back to Zimbabwe. And um, my dad asked me, what do you want to do with your life now? So I had actually secured a job in the UK um, to work um, in a hotel as a hotel um, assistant hotel manager. And so I was going through the visa processes at that time because my major, as I mentioned earlier on, you could choose to have your major with the University of the UK or in the States. So I qualified with the University of the UK, University of Derby, which meant that perhaps you could have access to almost, I think that was the post-study visa at that particular time. But what I didn't know was it was in the process of changing. So I was caught in the middle of all of that. As a result, I wasn't able to then start my work in the UK. And I had paid an agency and all of that, which was quite the normal thing at the time, to start to process your paperwork, etc. Lost quite a lot of money, I think around £5,000 thereabouts, which was really, really frustrating. But I, I believe in God, and I think sometimes you know, some things work together for the good, you know, and that was a way of changing the, the course of my life. And so my dad said, okay, you know, um, and as much as you want to go and work there, you need to think of something else. If things don't work out, what is your other plan? And I just said, oh, well, then I'll come back to some modern work. And I said, what about a master's degree? I actually laughed in his face. I said, a master's degree? Me? Never. I'm not that smart. I'm not, you know, I'm not one of those people. Master's degrees are for people who are smart. For me to even get a BA honors, wow, that's an achievement. You know, I didn't think I'd be that person. And so, yeah. So after that, anyway, went back to Zimbabwe applied for a place in the UK to to start my master's. As I mentioned, the um, job fell through, and I started my master's in events management. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> I I wanted to stop you there because I have a few questions, actually, <laughs> that will require going backwards. So yeah. before we start on the master's, I have a few questions. I mm -hmm. actually appreciate how kind of honest you've been in, in terms of I thought I was passionate about this mm. then something new came along the journey and I changed my mind because that can often be a challenge right when you're an undergrad you're especially in the UK mm. um, you're forced to decide what you're going to major in if you want to use American terms at the start mm -hmm. you can't kind of try out 15 different things and then choose mm. what you're going to focus on so I love that, you know, you were honest and, and you also took the initiative to be like, you know what, I could just carry on 
but actually no i want to add this on and i'm glad you where you were studying also had that option so the options were limited but but now was one of the options i wanted <laughs> that's, good. <laughs> that's good um so um for for me just as you were sharing that when you kind of said oh you know i was studying art and geography and english literature um and you've done history but you brought that and then you know, you're talking about kind of your desire to host people and your love for hosting and, and all of them. That's how you went to choosing what you were studying. Like, how did your parents, like, react to that? Because, I mean, you were in Zimbabwe, right, mm-hmm. at the time. Yeah. And, you know, not to dial back too much, but you'd gone to a, a very good um, high school. And I can't see any of your peers... Um, you know, being as open to um, a subject that doesn't, you know, fit into Zimbabwean parents kind of, you need to do something that guarantees you a job or mm. is that even a proper subject? Yeah. So I, I, would, I would be interested, just a little hint of mm. your family and friends when you were sharing what you want, yeah. to, what you want to study. I think that's a very important question because I think the best thing that came out of that situation was the support for my dad. And it wasn't always like that. So if I was to just detail a little bit, I lost my mom at age 15. And after that, um, I decided I would take a gap year. And so I studied at Arundel. Um, probably some of the listeners um, are familiar with that as well. And so I went to Brazil for a year um, in uh, between 2005 January and came back 2006 January. And that year was a year of growth and enlightenment. And I grew in so many different ways. And when I came back to Zimbabwe, I safe to say I was a different person. And I even remember thinking at the time, a lot of my friends, I found a lot of people very immature, only because, you know, I'd lived this other experience and I'd come back knowing what I wanted to do in a way. And even when I said it to my dad and my dad was not certain about my choices, he said, okay, if that's what you want to do, you can go ahead. And I think my year abroad and coming back still intact, quote unquote, you know, as African parents would say, gave him a sense of confidence that I was able to make decisions and not um, let them down. Mm. So, and friends, yeah. friends, uh, I mean, they didn't, all my friends, you know, pretty much went down the uh, typical lawyer route or the financial route, etc. But I was never wired that way. And I mean, some of them didn't quite understand what I was doing. I mean, I had a lot of family members and friends who used to say, oh, she's doing catering. <laughs> I can see that. I can so see that. You can see that. I'm rolling my eyes. <laughs> she's doing catering. When people would ask, what is she doing? Oh, she's at school where they learn to bake. <laughs> wow. Okay. So, I mean, some friends didn't even get what I was doing. Or they just thought, okay, you know, um, these particular degrees. The other, you know, thing was people just thought these degrees were people or for people who are not smart. Yes. Or for people who didn't do well at A-level. Of which I actually did well at A-level. Mm. I actually surpassed what they expected. <laughs> um, because, yeah, for various reasons. And I didn't choose to study what I chose to study because I didn't qualify for other pro- programs. Right. No. Was uh, there anything else that, that you really wanted to yeah. do? Yeah. Um, my other two options were um, to become a graphic designer or a journalist. Ooh. And journalism, actually, a full circle, PhD is a lot of journalism in the way. Mm-hmm. So I, I like to write. <laughs> oh, so, yeah. wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> well, you seem very artsy, very artsy. creative type. <laughs> no, yeah. This is good. So I can see how, like, 
what you studied makes sense mm-hmm. um, for you as a person because you can really tap into all of that, right? Certainly. Um, okay, that's that's really good. So as you were speaking, I was like, so Ruth, did you? Because you were in Zim, did mm-hmm. you Google? Our best universities for hospitality. Like, how did you come across this Swiss institution? Was it, you know, from a holiday you taken mm. with family or a friend recommended? Like, it just seems not random, <laughs> but Switzerland <laughs> from Zimbabwe. Because we've got listeners in mm. Zimbabwe right now mm. who who might want to go through the same journey as you or yeah. choose a different country, but it would be nice for you to just share a bit how so, you came to, to the Swiss institution as a choice of study. So Arundel had a careers department and we used to have um, um, so a careers representative who used to guide us on career choices, etc. And in the library, we had brochures, etc. And they used to have um, representatives from those particular universities coming. So I've forgotten the lady's name, but um, she had her son uh, studying at the Swiss Hotel Management School. And she became a university representative and she used to recruit in Zimbabwe at that particular time. Similar to m- many other universities, I think, you know, um, uh, Memorial, I think in Canada, Exeter in the UK, they used to have people, representatives come and recruit and do these fairs at um, some of the high schools in Zimbabwe. And so um, through one of their talks, I was convinced, obviously they sold it to me, it's one of the best, of which it was one of the best, and this experience will be unique, you know, etc. And if I, when I look back, those four years in Switzerland are some of the best years of my life. The education was um, unparalleled, um, the experiences, etc. Um, you know, it was it was a wonderful time. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> just the career itself, what for me personally, I can't speak for other people. For me, just didn't live up to to the experience of the education element. So yeah. Okay, cool. So one other thing. <laughs> um did you study French, like, in high school, or did you have to speak French at school, or, wait, do the Swiss just speak French? I don't know, just tell us <laughs> so, about language. Okay, so Switzerland um, has got different parts. There's the Swiss-German, so I was in, and the Swiss-French, so I was in the uh, Swiss-French side of uh, Switzerland. But because um, SHMS, Swiss Hotel Management School, um, was an English institution, so we spoke in English. However, all our placements, which you had to do every single year, uh, minimum, I think, of six months um, industry placement. We, I had to speak in French most of the time because I did most of my places, placements in Switzerland. However, I did French in high school uh, and I did it at O level as well. So I had a good foundation of French. And then I think I mentioned I went to live in Brazil um, for uh, a gap year through Rotary. And I learned to speak Portuguese whilst in Brazil because I'm a rival. Read Awakening, nobody speaks English. <laughs> and so anyway, that's a story for another day. And then moving to Switzerland, and as much as, you know, the Swiss can speak English, they are not here for it. You know, they will pretend like they don't understand you. So you had to learn to speak at least, you know, conversational French. And then at work, I had no choice. Um, I remember the, particularly when I worked for Philip and Morris um, in Neuchâtel in Switzerland. Um, that's probably where I honed in my French skills because my colleagues would not speak to me in English. And some of them didn't even know how to speak in English. And that was, I think, a 10-month placement. So that really, really immersed me into, you know, French-speaking life. And I didn't have any friends from school or anyone else around me. I had to make local friends. So I polished up on my French. And then whilst at um, SHMS, we all had to do French. So level one, level two, level three. So level one, level two, level three. And so when you graduated, you did have French as part of um, the curriculum that you studied. So, yeah, I think in terms of languages, 
is there. Okay. <laughs> so is your French still pretty good? Like, are you still... I mean, if I was... Conversing? If I, I am not conversing. If I was to be put in the situation, I would speak. Okay. I can hear. It's the same thing with Portuguese. Okay. And there was a time, I remember, where I actually used to dream in Portuguese. Wow! Yeah, and then sometimes mix the languages, because that's the other problem. We have compartments. And when I lived in South Africa... Um, in Durban for that placement um, prior to the people uh, playing World Cup, I started up picking up Zulu okay. for survival purposes. Yeah, <laughs> if anybody knew what was going on around that time, you just needed to learn a few things so that in case you caught public transport, you could, mm. you know, at least Kuluma a little bit. Um, so at one point, I felt overwhelmed with languages in my head, <laughs> and so I I speak. I do speak. I just don't have anyone to speak to. Okay. No, that's... that's <laughs> I know, like, I've got a bit of a high school friend, so maybe we should do a little... A little play, something, you yeah. know? Um, in a class or something, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, so just kind of like to wrap up everything. Mm. So, um, like, we shared kind of an introduction. Mm -hmm. I'm not familiar with kind of the transition from... As Zimbabwean high school to a European university. Mm. Um, so how did it work in terms of credits? Um, your, your high school, your A level mm -hmm. credits, um, transferring over to the Swiss credits. Did you? Because I know with England, um, I don't know how it works actually for Zimbabwean, but maybe sometimes they ask you to demonstrate English language tests. Yeah. And you know what is in like? Did you have to do anything towards getting more credit or did it just translate easily to the Swiss equivalent system and it was good to go? So fortunately, because um, in high school, I, I um, wrote my exams, the Cambridge exams, so O-level and A-level. So those were good enough because, as I mentioned, the, the institution in Switzerland was English. But also to demonstrate the French elements, I had um, O-level French. So um, I had A-level subsidiary AS. Um, English language because it was mandatory at that time at Arundel, which was useful enough for me to bypass the is it the English test the IELTS or whichever one that one is, and so um, as a result I don't have to sit those tests or my um, paperwork was just smooth enough. Applied, I had to apply for the visa um, at the time. How did we apply for the visa? I think there was an embassy or consulate um, in in Belgravia in Harare, and so that visa was pretty straightforward. Um, you had to get a four-month visa firstly, and then upon arrival in Switzerland, you would then um, submit your paperwork, and then they would give you a, a BRP card, almost similar to what they have in the UK, and then that would become like your residence card for the duration of your um, course, and you'd have to renew it every year, because Switzerland is very, very strict about, um, you know, going over your time, etc., and when you finish, you finish, you leave the country, and all of that. So that process was pretty straightforward. And that's what we did. And when I moved to England, um, again, they asked for evidence in terms of you know, English speaking. Again, I provided my A-level English um, uh, literature certificate, AS, English language. And then the fact that my degree, as I mentioned earlier on, that I chose to qualify with um, University of Derby. So the fact that I was in English, that was enough and sufficed. Fantastic. Wow. I feel like I thought that was going to be like a five minute session, but <laughs> as you were speaking, I was picking up on things that I think our audience would appreciate. So mm -hmm. I think for now, I, I have a very good idea of your undergrad experience. Mm. So before we move to master, how long was this? So how long were you in Switzerland for? So you said 
it was a diploma and then it turned like was this a three four years four years four in years. total so to say so february 2008 and i left the beginning of march 2012 fantastic yeah wow well i mean this is quite a while back mm. but i hope you know if anyone is interested in kind of pursuing a similar um career option as you as you find out <laughs> as things go um you know this is a good way i think it's fantastic that um you have all these institutions from all over the world coming to to high school, I didn't even know that. I didn't yeah. know that. That's <laughs> fun. That makes a lot of sense. Like mm-hmm. when I'm like, how did people find out about these random institutions from Zimbabwe? But that makes a they lot, made a lot of money though, because that's they would yeah agents would get cuts etc. Because very but I, I suppose they know the point is <laughs> you don't actually have to do a lot of the legwork. They did the learning this, exactly. Mm-hmm. So I I think that's fantastic that they've got that. Um, that's why I actually don't even really recall the visa process for Switzerland because I remember going to the agent. And she just asked me for all this paperwork. I just mm. left it there. And then I remember going from an interview with a lot of pieces that I wasn't directly involved in. Yeah. Whereas when I moved to England, I did that by myself. <laughs> Which you will share yeah. shortly. Um, but yeah, so thank you. That's the undergrad journey. So mm. to go back where you were, you were saying your dad spoke to you when you were on your graduation dinner and you mm. said next step and... You were like, ah, I've just done a bachelor's, like, I don't know. And he was like, master's, and you're like, oh my goodness. I find that very, like, interesting that you said you don't think you're, like, you know, bright enough to do a master's. I think you're, like, one of the brightest people I know. I don't know if that's, like, something that they've evolved with time, but I'm I'm very surprised to hear that. Imposter syndrome is real. <laughs> and then beyond that... I think I mentioned I went to Arundel where everybody is so brilliant and I wasn't in the top tier of the brilliant people. Mm. And so I always felt as if I was not good enough yeah. and also sometimes made to feel as if I was not good enough. Wow. So that played a huge role in always second-guessing myself. And then also my brother that follows me is super intelligent. And so I always used to feel like I was in the shadows. Oh, and, but my dad never made me feel that way. He always okay. used to hype me up. Oh, good. <laughs> so I think a lot of my self-confidence comes from my dad. I think me up and yeah. never playing us with each other. each other. And whatever good thing I did, he would always reward. Yeah. He would always reward and Celebrate make a lot it. of noise about it, anything. And so that always made me feel I could do anything. That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. So, Masters. Hmm. So you've graduated with a BA? BA Honours, yeah. BA Honours in Hospitality, hospitality and Events. Mm. Yeah. And this is 2012. Yeah, so the graduation, I mean, was in November. I, mean, I finished November 2011, graduation January. But then I was working, so I just had to wrap up my contract. Okay. Then move back to Zoom. All right. So how did we get to master's? Mm-hmm. So I think I gave a little context earlier on that I had a job situation that fell through for particular reasons. Visa rules were changing in the UK. And these are things that I think a lot of us do encounter when we are international students. Visa situations will change, and that's not in you know in your control. And you have to pick up, you know, and figure out what to do. So at that point, the masters, which was something I thought I would never do, suddenly became plan A. <laughs> so I moved back to Zoom, um, and I was there for a couple of months. And I had a friend who was at the university that I eventually went to do my um, masters at, Bournemouth University in the UK. And so initially, I went on Google. That's what I really did and um, looked for universities in the UK, the best universities for events management. And at the time, Bournemouth was in the top three and um, it popped up. 
And then I remembered I had a friend who had studied at Peter House and she was there. So I got in touch and I asked her, what is it like? And she was in the second year and she just, she had a lot of good things to say about it. And that's literally how I made my decision. I applied online and a few weeks later I had a letter in the mail. Some other mail was still good at that time. I don't know what it's like at the, at the present moment. And I had an offer letter. And that was wonderful. I think that was actually maybe late March. I went back home, beginning of March. So it all took about three weeks, really. And I uh, showed my dad. My dad said, okay, great. We're getting on board. We didn't start school in September. And at that point, it was all, okay, okay. So I just had to pay for the deposit, to gather everything that needed to be done, and then um, prepare myself for the visa application process. So you had to have a CAS number, offer letter, the CAS number process can take forever, back and forth. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, it's a letter late because it came late. And um, I thought, as this Marvin Post lost it, etc. Emailing, calling the UK, you know the panic. <laughs> but eventually things um, came together and uh, I did get my visa to study my master's in the UK. So whilst I was in Zimbabwe, I decided to make use of my time, get a driver's license. And I worked for one of my dad's friends and I worked in accounting because I just... I didn't like numbers, but I wanted to challenge myself and do some you know, clerical work and stretch my brain a little bit more. Okay. Um, so just quickly, as you were speaking, I was like, what's the CAS number? <laughs> Is that an abbreviation? Yeah, I've even forgotten what it, um, what it stands for, but it's a particular number that you need to, even when you're doing tier two, for example, I would explain Oh, so it's just for visas. So it's for visas. Okay. For all visas in the UK, you need a CAS number. Right. So for Tier 4, which is a student visa, I need a CAS number. Even when I applied for Tier 2, when I started working, I need another CAS number. Each time you apply for a new visa, you need a CAS number. Oh, right. So it's a unique code. So do you have to apply for it? Um, or yes. they, allo- they give it to you? They allocate it to you based on you satisfying the um, point scheme. Wow. So once you satisfy everything they've requested of you, then that is basically you know, the holy grail of now you can go. Oh, <laughs> you don't keep the same CAS number, they just renew it. Every they give a different one based on, because I guess at every stage of well, every visa has got a different um, set of requirements oh, yes, and I things guess. change. And in case people want to you know, counterfeit things, I don't know, whatever it may be. So the process is quite lengthy, okay. but that's that's what it is. <laughs> wow. So you didn't have an agent for, for, for the this. masters. You literally Googled Mm-hmm. picked the university mm-hmm. found the course spoke to a friend and applied for mm-hmm. the course got accepted mm-hmm. then started the visa process so you were going to the embassy myself yeah by yourself and i think and as i was to add to that the good thing is um i've got so many friends here in the uk mm-hmm. i'm sure same friends yeah and so many zimbabweans are here in the uk so i did ask some of my friends okay then I mean, they were still fresh out of uni so they still remember the process so they did give me some pointers do this do that do this do that so that was helpful. I mean, coming to the UK, don't really need an agent. There's so many people here who can just tell you what to do. And the process was straightforward. Again, Belgravia, I don't know if they still do visas there in that way. But yeah, and came out pretty quickly. So, um, so your, was your natural inclination to come to the UK for your master's a result of kind of your undergrad university kind mm. of having this university of derby affiliation mm. like was that because it was an easier process or did you consider america did you consider australia because we've got loads of friends mm. that are in australia or south africa like what made the uk aside from that bournemouth was number three in the uk for um your course that you wanted to study um did you consider other countries like 
Um, at that time, I didn't even consider other countries. There were other things I'd play. So, for example, you know, girls. <laughs> <laughs> Young love. Okay. All right. Um, and okay. then also the fact that um, a number of my really good friends were in the UK. Right. It's, I just wanted to be in a place where I wouldn't have to struggle making friends okay. again. Yeah. Um, I'd lived in so many different places yeah. at this point, And I mean, one of the things that I didn't like about Brazil, for example, was the fact that I felt so lonely mm. all the time. And I didn't want to have to learn yet another language. Yeah. I wanted somewhere where life would be as close to what I used to be familiar to. Okay. And so the UK made sense. And I was also thinking of, you know, after um, I graduate, if I wanted to stay behind and work, or if I wanted to get work experience, what work experience would translate easiest, or would have an easier translation to what happens in Zimbabwe. Okay. So those are some of the dynamics at play. So the USA, no, I didn't even consider it at all. I, that's never crossed my mind. Australia, I'd considered it at undergrad level, but right. don't consider it. Either. Yeah, because I think if I had the option, mm. like. I would really consider going somewhere else with better weather. But I yeah. completely get what you're saying in terms of um, friends. And I really found like the older I get, mm. um, I'm not looking for new friends. I mean, if I find them, <laughs> if I find them, then that's great. But mm. I, so I can understand what you're saying. Like, you know, you've had this time in Switzerland and now there's an opportunity where you could go and be with the friends that you didn't study with for those four years. Mm. Um, and also like, like, since I was 13. <laughs> yeah, and also friends. the language <laughs> issues and just being in an environment where not everything is new. Mm. At least language is not new. And I suppose Zim being an ex-British colony, they, you know, and lots of races, yeah. I mean, yeah. in the UK, I have a lot of yeah. <laughs> No, that helps. That that yeah. really helps. So, so now you you got your visa, mm-hmm. right? You're on the course. You're working a clerical job, doing accounting, and we're getting to closer to September. How did it work in terms of you finding accommodation? Did they? allocate you or come like what happened after you got the visa mm. what did you need to do to make sure that on when you got here in september you had somewhere to stay you had mm. everything you know because i can imagine when i was yeah. doing my undergrad like where did you did you come with your linen did family members buy you linen or pots and pans or did you buy that when you got here you know, because I'm really taking it back to basics so someone who's be, in yeah. Zim can actually really think about some of these things. And I think that's very useful because I had actually glossed over that because in Switzerland and the UK, two very different worlds and ways of operating. The, in Switzerland, I think we were coddled, molly coddled in a way, because you would pay a lot of school fees, but everything would be provided. So I didn't have to buy linen, I didn't have to buy anything. I didn't cook for myself. We had a canteen, um, we had housekeepers who used to come and clean our rooms and make our beds. I mean, it's just Switzerland, you know, um, we used to send our, our, we used to actually wear suits, we used to send our suits to the dry cleaners, everything was done for you. And so I never worried, even I think some of our train fares were covered, etc., etc. Certain train fares you had to pay for yourself, but essentially life was easy. I was only responsible for buying junk food, going out and buying my clothes. <laughs> I didn't really care about things, except on placement where I would have to look for my accommodation and own food, but that was a different scenario. So we went to the UK. In one head, I actually thought it was the same thing until my friend said to me, oh no, you were spoiled. No, in the UK, you have to do things by yourself. So fortunately, the university did um, offer um, student accommodation. So at master's level, if I think if you hadn't studied in the country and you weren't familiar, you um, had first dibs to accommodation. I think the same applies to first year students. 
And then after that, if you're first year in the university, then you need to start looking for your own accommodation. I'm not really sure about that. But, um, so the university did offer, I managed to get into a new build, okay. which is really, really nice. Um, so I was the first one in my room, the single uh, room. I remember getting to Bournemouth, not knowing what to do. I had no linen, I had nothing. At the station, I realized there was a big supermarket called Asda. Okay. So I made a mental note, so we were coming back. Mm-hmm. Got my taxi to my um, accommodation, checked in, and my welcome pack, etc. They showed me where my room was. And um, I just literally went back to Asda. Yeah. And I bought all my bed linen, mm-hmm. all my little pots, student pots, everything that I needed. And there was a... Uh, a supermarket right beneath um, the student accommodation. I've forgotten which one. One of these other ones. Koskata, one of them. Yeah, one of them. Yeah. So um, I would nip down the stairs to just buy food. So I guess that was my um, baptism of fire. But again, I had friends. So my friends had told me. And at that time, I did have a boyfriend in the UK. Mm-hmm. And so he helped me a lot with figuring out what to do mm-hmm. and so on and letting me know which shops to go to and stuff. Yeah. So it was, it was pretty straightforward um, in that sense. And I think, again... The visa, I had to... No, no, that, that was a situation that happened with where I had to change the visa. Okay. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so you're in Bournemouth now. So your course, was it in choosing the course? Because mm. um, I know some people like a balance of taught classes and then kind of uh, research or um, coursework. Yeah. Did you ever put that into consideration? Yeah. When you were, like... Because did you have optional and compulsory mm. modules? Did that play into you choosing Bournemouth as an institution, or did you just want to go to Bournemouth and you made it work? Another great question, actually. Um, I'd forgotten to even consider that earlier on. That one of the reasons I also chose Bournemouth is because they had a placement option right. at master's level, and in the UK, at that time, I'm not sure what the scene looks like now. I can't speak for everything. But at that time, there were very few universities that had a placement option at master's level. So most institutions would do your one-year program. Whereas at Bournemouth, if you did the placement option, you had two years. So I had my two-year visa. So I did the one-year full-time study. And then I got myself a placement in the UK. I worked at a um, local um, organization. I'm not going to mention the name. Worked for a year. And then after you were done, um, you would write a placement report and all of that, get credits as well, and then work on your dissertation. Right. So I got, I collected some of my data from there, and I collected some of my data from Zimbabwe. If anything, the, the dissertation I did at that time played into what was happening with the PhD. So <laughs> was this two years then, your master's? Yeah, so I started okay. master's in September 2012, and I graduated in November 2014, though I actually oh. finished in, I submitted my dissertation in September 2014. Okay. Yeah. Oh wow! Okay, so to your masters. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. That's that, that's cool. Um, and if anything, I would actually say if you have that option, go for it because okay. that work experience isn't as much as I really don't like where I was working. Looking back at it, that's what opened up my eyes to the next step. Mm-hmm. If, if you've caught a trend, a lot of my placements were the eye-opening elements to yeah your decision making. Yeah, yeah. yeah, because when you go and work in the in in, in real life and so on, you're exposed to a lot of different things that open up your eyes to different options and you have a lot more time to consider things and then you can also evidence work because later on they're going to ask you you know work experience employers of today somehow expect you to have five years work experience fresh out of uni oh so no, this is this very much struggle as you as you go to school <laughs> yeah this was my struggle mm-hmm. um definitely when i finished my master's mm-hmm. and i was like when i finished my master's 
all my friends that don't have master's degree while I took, because I did mine over two years as well, which yeah. I, I will share my own. But um, I was like, oh, at least I'm going to start earning capacity better than my friends that don't have, because I mean, I have a master's degree. Yeah. No, 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 no. <laughs> People were like, yeah, we're going to pay you, not even like borderline minimum wage, but mm. also where's your work experience? And I was like, what do you mean? I have a master's, master's. degree. And they're like, no, 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 like work experience. So if you can find a balance of learning and getting work experience, honestly, I mm. would applaud, especially in this day and age degrees everyone most people have degrees now so you're nothing not nothing special but you shouldn't see that you need to set yourself apart yeah you need to set yourself apart and sometimes work experience is that thing that you or even Mm. voluntary work or there's different ways you can set yourself apart or even these bringing a certificate these placements or gap years like for example the gap year with rotary that went a long way Mm. because the rotary name weighs a lot so to this day even in my professional career now Whenever I bring that up, it actually scores points. I would because those things are very, very important. Even the stuff that you're saying, working. Yeah. Um, when I look back at it, the Swiss model is very, very good in that sense because you are forced to work. <laughs> you have to work and study. So by the end of my all of that, I actually walk, walked away with almost four years work experience wow. alongside. Studying. When I, when you add all the months and everything yeah. together. And it's evidence it's stuff I've been able to evidence even in my current job now. And so on. So even like, um, yeah, it's really important. One thing that came to mind when you were talking about, you know, when you start looking for a job and you expect your expectations are here and reality is there. I remember that happened after undergrad when I went back to Zim. Before I actually decided to do a master's, I thought I could get a job in Zimbabwe. I went and applied everywhere. I remember going to Harare, I stayed with one of my best friends and, you know, she would drive me places. And everywhere I went to Zimbabwe, they kept saying, you're overqualified. Um, and I said, what do you mean overqualified? I was just 25 at that time. What do you mean wow. overqualified? And their whole thing was, you went and studied in Switzerland. None of our managers here have studied abroad. Most of our managers here don't even have a degree in what you have. How can a little girl like you, with all these qualifications, who worked in, because in Switzerland I did work in really good hotels, etc. So I had experience in, in five-star and four-star hotels. in some of the best hotels in the world. You've worked in these hotels and you want to come here. Our hotels are not there. And they wouldn't see the vision when I was trying to tell them that I can help you get there. But then also, you know, patriarchy and all sorts of other things. You know, a, a young female coming to tell these older men who are in these positions to work in this way and that way, it didn't work. And so that was the explanation that I got in most of the places. That, uh, sorry, it's, it's nothing to do with you as a person. We think you'd be brilliant. But the way things are, wow. we can't take you because you're overqualified for what we've got going on. Well, mm-hmm. I feel like that's We've definitely got a session on that, <laughs> yeah. right? We're choosing, this is kind of like the in-between once you finish mm. a master's and then going to PhD, we're going to unpack mm. the different, yeah, anyway, so we will unpack this. Yeah, yeah. yeah mm. we will unpack kind of choosing to do further education, like a post-doctor, sorry, post-graduate um, degree, like a PhD overworking, and we're going to unpack that in, in the next um, installment. But I think we've covered a lot of ground, Rue. Yeah. I'm sure I will think of more questions once yeah. we get off line. But um, we can always revisit, mm. right? We can always revisit. Yeah, yeah. So many Guys, come up. Yeah, engage with us. Ask us questions. And we can always do like a little Q&A at some point. And some things um, I've even forgotten. So if you know something, we'll be like, what about this? Yes. Or even if you were one of my friends in that journey and you're like, Rue, remember that time? Yes. Please. Holla at your girl. <laughs> please, please engage with us. But I think that's that's us, Ruth. Mm. So 
Next time I do an interview, you we will be talking about the PhD journey, which is long and complicated. It needs a long series. <laughs> but for now, we will end there. Is there anything you wanted to add, or are you happy for us to just close the loop? And um, yeah. I think I think um, just to close the loop on masters, what I would say is. Make sure when you choose your master's degree, you are intentional about what you're doing. It's not just so that you can stay in a country for longer, etc. Be intentional because that could unlock the next And what you need to be most intentional about is your dissertation topic. Dissertation topics actually almost override a lot of what happens on the master's journey. So be thoughtful. Think it through. And don't just do things because everybody else is doing it. So I think that's my little closing nugget on that. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Ru, for letting me interview you. Guys, if you have questions, send them through. Send them through. The email address is attached to the little bio yes. um, on the on the podcast. The Hand Me Up Podcast at gmail.co.uk. Yeah. Uh, follow us on Instagram. Yes. Subscribe, subscribe to our podcast so you get notifications. And share. And share. share. Tell your friends, tell your family members. Yeah. You know, get in, get involved. And message us. Yeah, message like, us. Like, our handle for Instagram mm. is the Hand Me Up podcast. So, guys, get in touch. Even if it's just a, you know, this was really interesting or can you tell us more about this? Like, we want to know you guys are listening. And or even your we, stories. Yeah. yeah. We, honestly, we want this to be interactive. So, we look forward to hearing from you guys. And until the next installment, Rue, it's been great. Thanks for interviewing me. I've, I've enjoyed it. Thank you so much, Gwen, and, and for being so open. Because I know some <laughs> topics are really difficult to speak on. Yeah. But when we speak from a place of openness, we learn. Yeah. So I really, really appreciate sure. your your honesty and your truth. Thank you. Yeah. All right, guys. So until the next one, guys. Thank you Thank and you. bye. bye.